0: Uh, Where you join us on popular program? Mm, yes, it's legal talk, and uh, legal talk uh, this evening, Alhamdulillah, one of your favorite is back. His name is uh, Senior Attorney Ashraf Isuf, and uh, our topic uh, that uh, we're going to discuss this evening is the analysis of two cases dealing with foreigners. Over the uh, as I said, with our Senior Attorney Ashraf Isub. But uh, you know, many things happening in the world, and when Ashraf and I get together. Uh, we always like to leave you with the food for thoughts And uh, something that Ashraf had sent me earlier on uh, Made uh, such an impression on me And I thought it is imperative uh, that we share it with you Let me welcome a uh, pious and sagacious Ummah And our senior attorney Ashraf hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh And uh, tell me, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening Ashraf? wa
1: barakatuh Alhamdulillah, all is good With the grace and blessings of Allah Allah sends whatever He sends to make us either be in awe of Him or be in awe of His other attribute Jamali. So you know you have Jalali and Jamali, right? Jamal, Jalali is His power of nature and things like that. But Jamali as you know, it comes from Jamila or Dwai Jamila. It's the beauty, right? So, in everything around you, in fact, in the human self mm-hmm. itself, um, it's it's quite amazing what you what the human being is all about. And trial and tribulation is part of it, uh, Shafat. You know, we can't always have good. Because the bed, the bed is still lying on the bed and then they swap places, you know what I'm saying? So, we are thankful to Allah for everything. In fact, we, we recite it in our Shahada. We even teach it to our children when they're going to bed. Aman to warasuli. wa You see, the qadr, both. So, we give thanks to Allah, to Allah for both, actually, uh, without limitation. Allah, Allah knows what is best for us. That's
0: um, how how I view things uh, as they unfold. Eh? The beautiful, uh, Jamil and Jalil and uh, Jamila. Yeah, you know, I I should say it so beautifully as insan, as human beings, that uh, we have come into this dunya uh, for trials and tribulation. And uh, this is uh, the uh, makeup of Insan, and Insan will be tested all the time. Uh, why go so far when, uh, you know, we follow, Rabiul Awal will be coming soon, and uh, this will be the month of the Prophet. And uh, we look at the seerah of Nabi Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam Ashraf, and uh, look at his life, uh, the trials and tribulations he went through, and, uh, you know, own family members were taking him on, his own clan, you know, ostracizing, they banned him, and he had to leave Makkah and go to Medina. And this is where our history begins, you know, you know begins. We say, go back to the charter of Medina, uh, and see what has happened there. A uh, role state, a uh, model state and so forth. Uh, Imran Khan tried to implement that, uh, but you could see what has happened. But, um, you know, Ashraf, whilst we live in this world of uh, trials and tribulation, we as insan, you know, we are Allah's vicegerent on this earth, and we are told to think, you know, look within yourself. You see the signs of Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look around you, you'll see the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I you know we are actually told to think deeply so that we cannot fall into the pit, uh, pitfalls of this world or all these uh, meretricious beauty of this world. But one thing that uh, I really uh, liked uh, this week when you sent me that clip, the spider's web and after the, you know, British Empire collapsed after 300 years, but they still had the tent- tentacles, you know, around the world through the banking system. And it is amazing that the same system is in place today. And, you know, London being the headquarters of all these um, bankers. And another thing that I heard in the clip was, uh, you know, very rarely you find bankers of the highest eminence, so-called eminence, uh, ever getting, uh, you know, caught or going to jail or being tried because they have something of an impunity. Ashraf, could you fill us in? You see, um, Shavat,
1: the way the law is written doesn't make that a crime. You see, let me give you a simple example, right? You have the Usuries Act. That says if you exceed the amount of the prescribed limit on usury, then you're committing a crime. So it legalizes usually, it doesn't outlaw it. Another quick example is the crime of adultery, which is one of the original sins and a prohibition in terms of the Ten Commandments, which was like the first kind of set of laws sent to uh, Sayyidina Musa. And adultery was punishable by death, as you know. But it got removed from the statute books as a capital offense, not even, not even, sorry, not even a capital offense, as a criminal offense in the 1890s. So you can see how laws are written by those that control what their interest is in in the whole thing therefore when you say that people are uh, you know get away scot free uh, etc but because they 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 manage not to criminalize that particular kind of thing i just gave you two examples one of usury and the other is of uh, adultery so If it's no longer a crime on the statute books, here is a hot one, off the press, Shepard. Marijuana, right? Constitutional court says it's not a crime to possess, grow, cultivate for personal use. It doesn't describe what personal use is. It doesn't describe what your property, you know, how many acres of it can you grow, right? Right. But it's no longer a crime, it's still a drug, it's still a scheduled drug. If you deal with it, that is a crime. So you you can see sometimes how laws kind of move away uh, in respect of criminalizing certain behavior because something else has happened. So I can go on giving you many examples, but I think you're getting the point or you got the point. that. If there is no law that says you must go to to jail, well you're not going to jail. And so you continue uh with the kind of uh, uh, you know business that you're doing. Another stark example, Shabat, alcohol. <clears throat> Alcohol will have the same um, impact on a human being as drugs because in the end you you basically lose control of your senses. But one is legal. You can walk in and buy it and there's no crime. And the other one is illegal if you're selling it. Imagine now in a bottle store if they sold right next to the beer a pack of whatever... Drugs, you know whatever, however it's sold so 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 that's dealing in it which is a crime, but alcohol is not a crime, so I think uh, you've got a pretty good uh, understanding of what I'm saying. The one who makes the law decides what the law will criminalise, the criminalise or otherwise.
0: Well, Ashraf, the big question is that why has that law has to be, you know, we're talking about after the British Empire you know, dissolved and so forth, but the laws of, you know, the currency and all was made there in London. Why London specifically, Ashraf?
1: So, you know, historically I think the documentary speaks of the independence of the Central Bank of England, which is in the city of London, which is not London, it's a, it's a it's actually, it's a little bit like the Vatican. Eh? It's a city within a city. It's got its own laws, own Lord mm. Mayor, its own parliament, its own police force, its own rules. And I read once, even theoretically, the Queen needed permission to enter the city of London. So you can almost imagine this one square mile as the most powerful real estate in all of uh, England. It is where the heart of the financial system was born. And where it is still maintained. Of course, the equivalent of that would be the, uh, Federal Reserve Bank in the, the U.S. And of course, then all the uh, central banks around the world, including ours, our, our central bank, uh, South African Reserve Bank in terms of the constitution is independent of the government. And today it's in the constitution. Um, and you could see that there was a whole debate about how independent can it be when it undertook um, to find that there was no um, uh, there was nothing untoward in how uh, how the Palapala pala m- money was received etc uh, etc. Et so you know you would know that while the governor of the reserve bank. Uh, just make a note of the word governor and tell me where else you, you heard such a term being used in the entire South African political or economic landscape. So the governor of the Reserve Bank, uh, makes decisions independently of the South African government. Of course, he has the, the right to confer with them, but he does not have to obey what they say. He's quite independent of them. So I don't know if that kind of tells you about this immense power of how banks actually work. And I think previously we spoke about if every country has a debt in the world, then who do we owe it to, Shafar? Who? Where are we borrowing from? Hmm. You know? And that is the World Bank. But like you say, the spider's web uh was a very interesting series because while the sun had set on the physical control of the empire, the monetary control of the world and its resources continued unabated. You know, there was a report of how France was controlling the Francophone countries of North Africa and how they started now revolting against them. I mean, I think just last week I heard something quite startling that all the francophone countries had to take a percentage of their income and place it with the Reserve Bank of France. That is how deep this thing Mm. goes. Remember what we're saying, that the power of the bankers is immense. It's no longer hidden or the invisible hand or anything like that. It's quite open, but we fail to see it, you see, because we, we lack the education and the insight and the uh, thinking. Worse still, other Muslim banks or the Islamic banks have thrown themselves into the same lot, you know, and then they split hairs about, oh, this is halal investment and that is not. And when the entire thing is absolutely unequivocally haram. So, the spider's web is a very, very good indication, very well researched, because you're getting, um, you know, you're getting the inside story almost. Uh, another very good documentary would be Inside Job. You know, you'll see how, um, how you know, banks, and this is phenomenal that banks become increasingly wealthy uh, in crises. And just have a look at the COVID crisis. Uh, how banks became wealthy. Alternatively, how banks, irrespective of how much capital and liquidity, are always bailed out by the government, Shafa, by the government. It takes the money of the people Says, "Here, Mr. Banker, get yourself out of difficulty. Quite quite interesting when you see how massively this thing is controlled. There was another very interesting clip, and I think this guy is running for U.S. president. Uh, Chetty, I think it was a few days ago. Very very um, insightful as well. Very deep. Um, a really a great understanding of you know understanding. It's a very short clip. Um you know, and, and he makes the case of how the so called elite, you know, there's only about ten thousand of them. <laughs> ten thousand controlling eight billion people in the world. And he puts a very, very um, um you know a very compelling case. And he you know he's not a fool, Doctor Shiva Durai Ayad Durai, I think. And he's got a master's, uh, I mean, he's got a PhD from MIT. This guy is a presidential candidate 2024 in the US. And he lays bare how the, you know, the system operates, how pe- every single thing, how it's all almost enmeshed together, you know, to create this, uh, what we live is what we think is our reality. So, Remember, part of our theme is always that we should try and find ourselves sources of information and, um, you know, things that can educate us, help us understand, make us really introspect. And I would definitely recommend uh, that as well, Shoghan.
0: You know, uh, you you talk about uh, this uh, candidate. uh, I did uh, listen to some of his, um, you know, lectures, I mean, uh, talks uh, that he had given. And one of his uh, heroes happened to be uh, Richard Nixon, who was, uh, you know, uh, the pioneer of a Vietnam War, and mm-hmm. you know also the uh, shuttle mm-hmm. diplom- uh, diplomacy with Henry Kiss- uh, Kissinger, and it was uh, Richard Nixon, uh, you know, uh, whispering of having uh, the petrol dollars uh, being introduced, and I mean uh, we we know that. So uh, perhaps uh, you know people say politicians uh, should be taken you know, shouldn't be uh, taken seriously. But uh, if you uh, judge this guy, he's saying the right words, but eventually uh, for him to become president, he has to be, uh, you know, uh, approved uh, by APAC, maybe the, uh, you know, the uh, American-Israeli press affairs uh, committee that uh, runs the uh, Congress, Ashraf, uh, What's your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, Shafar, I know very little about American politics and, you know, this guy's allegiance to Kissinger, I mean, to uh Nixon, because, yeah, okay. um, well, he he's really has a given a very good understanding in a very short video of how all of these things are enmeshed together. I mean, he speaks about how from Oxford onwards, you know, how the elites then go into banking and how from banking, you remember in that clip, they spoke about how the Her Majesty's uh, receiver of revenue got absorbed in one of the banks. And how he was telling them to move money around, and you know, you know, we spoke earlier on about what is law and what is not law, and who writes it. So, so that was a very interesting thing. My emphasis is education, and education mm. that will make you understand very, very clearly and deeply why riba in all of its forms. I mean, you, you, you Shabbat. It's a divine commandment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew today, tomorrow and yesterday what the condition of people will be. And He told us long ago, this is a mischief that must be avoided for A, B and C reason. What we've done, unfortunately, is abandon that uh, great battle and set ourselves on par and on course uh, to be absorbed into the, uh, you know, into the, uh, system.
0: Well, Ashraf, you I know. can hear that brother uh, yeah. telling me. He said, please ask Ashraf about the president telling us, oh, the country has no money. There's no money in this country and, you know, we're running out of money. What is this all about? Are they trying to, we you know South Africa has a lot of gold, diamond, platinum, uranium and so forth. But Ashraf, this government are they, uh, you know, hell bent in uh, ushering in another fiat money like a digital currency, uh, Ashraf? Yeah. So uh,
1: there are regulations being passed for, um, yeah, you know, the the digital currency. In fact, Shabbat, I don't know if you realize and if you've seen, there's more and more inter, not even internet banking, there's banking from your cell phone, purchases and sales from your cell phone. You can pay a A parking ticket at the mall through your cell phone. Imagine that. Imagine the physical removal or the removal of physical means of exchange, which is now digital. And that has to belong to someone. But obviously with the threat of cryptos, which is completely unregulated and phenomenal. I mean, a a price of gold is around $1,900 an ounce. Gold is real, you can hold it in your hand, it's internationally exchangeable, it's got historical value, it's indestructible, but pitch that against a currency churned out of massive computer networks called blockchain and given a value, and it's like 40 times the price of gold for one one of those. And You know what I'm talking about, Bitcoin, how it started. Mm. How it's traded today. And then all of the other dodge coin and dog and and some of the other coins that have fallen on the side. And so it's amazing how human beings are able to continuously change the landscape, uh, to suit this uh, very big demand, uh, you know, for wealth and comfort. Because that's what it really boils down to. Uh, you know, you, you know mm-hmm. yesterday's Bentley is no good. Because today there was a new model and somehow, you know, we must be in possession of that. A, to have some kind of internal satisfaction and B, to have the satisfaction of being seen and admired by others in your Bentley. I mean, it's astonishing. That that is the level of what we want to be appreciated for, which is a collection of uh, a few pieces of metal and brick and mortar, um, and some things that shine. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely, Ashraf. And you know, you make the point. Uh, I mean, you look at the uh, sterling, the pound; they still rule the you know the currency market. Uh, you know, when you're having uh, the different. Uh, valuations from your uh, yuan to the pound sterling or to the American dollar, but still the pound rules. Is, is it? I mean, I think it's still stronger than the dollar. Why is that so, uh, Ashraf?
1: Well, I mean, isn't there a basket of six currencies, right? And they're constantly changing. I mean, just the daily trade in currencies is 600 trillion. So you must have something that is less value and more value. And it changes constantly in and it is not set by the market Shabbat. it is set at the behest of the bankers yes. so quite remarkable you know there was a, there was a rumor that there were some bankers that set the price of gold daily and they set in the morning and in the evening and it's quite whimsical you know they they want to increase the price of the the, the gold they just put up a little flag and if they want to decrease they just put it down. I mean, it's so, it's so frightening that there is so much of power in the hands of so few and so many don't even understand it, let alone try and fathom out how they're going to overcome it. Um, but that is the, the condition of the world today. And then comes, you know, there's always the other uh, events that, that we never catered for, you know, Shabbat? Uh, pandemic. Uh, actually, on some accounts, we're sitting on the threshold of a nuclear war. I see today in U- Ukraine, they said that, uh, Russia is, uh, objecting to countries sending depleted uranium warheads to Ukraine. Do you know what that is? <clears throat> When you deploy depleted uranium warheads, there's long-term damage. This is seen in Iraq, in uh, certain other areas of the world where these armaments are used, and it has a devastating effect on the human population and the animal population, as well as the earth. So, I don't know if if the Russians will, will retaliate, but on some accounts that I've read, uh, I mean, they've got inter- intercontinental ballistic missiles that can reach uh, London in seven minutes. Can you imagine that? It'll take London, Manchester, up to Glasgow in Scotland. One, one hit. And obviously, there will be a retaliation and Allah knows what will happen. Yeah, but that man, could be You know, the leveler of the playing fields. I mean, look, Einstein said, I don't know what the Third World War will be fought with, but the fourth is going to be with sticks and stones. I don't think he was joking.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I think, a part of uh, uh, our tradition, which says that there'll come a time, uh, you know, the battles will be fought once again, man to man. And uh, you, you know the story, and uh, many things comes uh, through with that uh, Ashraf. While well, uh, looking at uh, the Helen Suzman Foundation has applied for the suspension of the arrest uh, or the deportation of Zimbabwean exemption permit holders, the application comes amid the Home Affairs Minister Aaron Mosolade's pending application to appeal a High Court judgment, which found his uh, decision not to renew uh, Zimbabwean exemption uh, permits. Uh, was, uh, he says, unlawful and invalid. Uh, Ashraf, uh, you know, we're going to discuss uh, the, the double issues that were affecting the foreigners and uh, bismillah, Ashraf.
1: So, interestingly, right, um, you know, the, the facts were that, you know, about two months ago, the Helen Sussman Foundation obtained an order from the Gauteng High Court, three judges, uh, which basically set aside the Minister of Home Affairs' decision to end the ZDP, as we knew it um then the minister's uh, uh, you know the the court order said that the minister's decision was uh, unlawful and uh, that order was to extend the zdp for 12 months right so we, everyone thought okay ZDPs have now until june 2024 however then the minister came on board and he says look i'm appealing this Now, Shabbat, if the, if leave of, to grant the appeal, uh, if leave is granted for the appeal, that means like if the judges that sat there, if they say, no, we think another court will reach a different decision from us, this will automatically suspend that court order that says that the minister's decision was unlawful and the ZEPs have another 12 months. So the, That would have obviously opened a lot of people to arrest, detention and prosecution. So HSF then said, no, look, we need to protect the uh, people in the interim. And uh, they asked the minister to agree to extend the expiry date, notwithstanding the appeal process. Uh unsurprisingly, the minister refused. And now HSF has now applied directly to the court in order to safeguard that interim relief that they had, you see, uh that they can stay in the country in the meantime. Now, they were also accused, the HSF was accused of, you know, being disruptive and preventing the deportation of illegal immigrants. But they said, listen, man, you know, this is really malicious and dangerous. Because, you know, if you take the, the entire scenario now, right, um, illegal occupation is conflated into illegal immigration or illegal migrants. We've seen various Incidences of this. We saw a terrible fire in Johannesburg. We saw Zama Zamas in an area called Rivali that was was creating havoc in the community and that, you know, the community reacted with violence and the police came in. And, um, HSF is saying, look, we are one of the NGOs that have always played a role in fighting and protecting um, the rights of people in this country, and now I see a, a you know a, a, another attempt to discredit NGOs like uh, the HSF um, in in the in the in the fire tragedy here in uh, Johannesburg because now a theory that said the following: the NGOs identify a um, a terrible building. They then create an NGO, let's say, to house women and children or foreigners uh, subject to abuse. They then get the right to occupy that building, although it is a condemned, it's a filthy, it's a terribly dangerous building. And then, uh, now these are the charges against the NGOs, eh, Shabat? And then they say uh, the NGOs end up collecting huge amounts of rental and there is little or no benefit to the occupants of the property, so the property can be condemned uh in terms of structure in terms of not having adequate uh fire or fire escapes uh in terms of not having enough uh electricity or adequate water and then i mean I've seen some of these images it was like quite shocking eh? it's like a cesspool of dirt, you know. Lift shafts were used as garbage disposal units. Um, Fire escapes had rotted away. So if there was a fire, you would then jump to your death. In fact, the one guy wasn't, you know, he he, he came on radio. He, He jumped three stories off that building and, you know, injured himself. But now he's out in the streets. So, you know, your heart goes out to these people that are vulnerable, poor, exploited because they are human beings you know at the end of the day and uh on the other hand government is saying the NGOs are not playing the game and um, there was an earlier report just today of a property developer in Johannesburg who's uh, absolutely devastated by the lack of participation by local government in uh, in the city rejuvenation or even, you know, keeping the the inner city clean. Mendel Goldman, he says that, look, the city is, you know, allowed to become a breeding ground for crime. It's a cesspool of filth. It's the investor's worst nightmare. And he puts this squarely in the, you know, at the door of, of local and national government. He says, uh, you know there's there's wholesale corruption there's absolutely no way of uh enforcing bylaws and um you know they've let they've let it go to rot for uh for the last 20 years and that's it he says look we we can't he says they they've allowed this to happen and and therefore you know the the thing continues and then there was the other theory of, you know, organized crime benefiting from this because they would send in the heavies every month to collect uh, the rental. I mean, you know, a family of four, Shafat, mother, father and two kids, the only thing that separates them from the neighbor is a little plastic curtain. How, how, how are you going to live like that? Uh, And if there's one candle that tipped over. The whole thing is going to go up in flames. It's tragic, Shafat. But again, what do we do? How do we get the government to take action? Uh, And the government's charge against the NGO is that they're aiding and abetting this. Uh, So, you know, you'll always have this tension between NGOs and governments. But we started by asking what the HSF was doing in court. So that's basically what they did. We don't have an outcome, but I think the minister is saying that he's going to oppose this uh, application by the HSF. Let's see what the judges have to say.
0: You know, Ashraf, uh, many uh, of our... I mean, I, I was talking to a member of parliament the, the other day about the same issue, uh, you know, about these buildings uh, being uh, given or let out to... Uh, the NGOs, even I spoke to some uh, councillors from the Etikweni municipality, and uh, the understanding I got from them was: uh, yes, uh, yeah, when these individuals come, uh, the uh, municipality in good faith says, okay, that building is uh, not up to speed, is not in good condition, but uh, we are prepared to give you this, uh, provided that you make sure that uh, you know the infrastructure, uh, you know the fire hydrant and the water, and all these things are uh, you repair it at your cost and so forth. And, you know, we'll be giving you that. But uh, subsequently, we find that there are officials uh, that have been, uh, you know, compromised uh, here also uh, or or, or are part of the syndicate that uh, wouldn't even worry about, you know, getting the building uh, tendered to and so forth. It was all about exploiting these poor people. And, you know, it seems as if our major metros in the country, uh, all of them, have uh, this uh, stupendous problem of having, uh, you know, Uh, foreigners uh, unfortunately living in uh, these uh, squalor conditions because all are migrating uh, to the metros. Uh, What's your thoughts on that, Ashraf?
1: So, yeah, I think inevitably you'll always find that human beings are attracted to the city center. There is internal migration in South Africa as well, not limited to foreigners. South Africa's own population is leaving the rural areas and moving towards the city. You must understand in the city, jobs are easier to find and uh, you're better off with an income uh, where you can buy the basic necessities of life rather than trying to eke out a living, a very difficult living in the rural areas. Unfortunately, when that becomes more popular, the rural areas will be left to rot and it will go into disrepair And that will have a definite knock-on effect with the food security. Food security is an immensely important thing, Shapat. And it has always been exploited uh, by very large corporations because it is all about the monopoly of money and the monopoly of food, which is uh, through the monopoly of farmlands. Interestingly, if you look at the United States' history, uh, during the Great Depression, um, there was a very interesting book, which is actually, I read somewhere, it was one of the top ten most banned books in the world. It was called uh, uh, Grapes of Wrath*. I don't know if you remember uh, or John Steinbeck as the author. So Steinbeck's cry against how the land was, uh, how the farmers were dispossessed of their lands that was there for generations because of debts owed to the banks. And um, uh, and and then the banks became the biggest land owners. Interestingly, I read somewhere South in South Africa, Anglo American is one of the biggest owners of agricultural land in the country. Interesting. So Steinbeck was saying that these people were dispossessed of their ancestral lands, and then uh, industrial production of food came in. And of course, you know, with the industrial production of food comes, this whole chain of fertilizers, uh, patented seeds, like, uh, you know, there's very little uh, natural corn left in the world. Almost each yep. and every seed is a patented product uh, sold by some of these big multinational companies. The devastation was seen in India where about nine thousand uh farmers committed suicide uh, Shabbat, because they couldn't pay the banks for all the funding that they had to take for um planting crops and buying fertilizer and uh yeah, so you can see it was quite devastating from that perspective where food now becomes the the key and the weapon of uh, mass control. But once you leave the farm, you're never, ever going back. But then in the end, you see these big multinationals will end up, you'll end up buying everything from them, including electricity, water, food, the basis, whatever you need in, in life, you know, medicine, and and so you become a, uh, a net consumer your entire life, and then that is passed on to the next generation. But uh, the control, very much like money control, would remain in the hands of a few. Um, in that regard, I would recommend uh, Michael Moore's uh, documentary called uh, Food Inc., Food, I-N-C. I was quite stunned to learn that six companies own the
0: entire food resource of the world.
1: Six companies.
0: Shocking, Ashraf. And uh, indeed, uh, you know, so even, uh, you know, manufacturing uh, meat in laboratories and uh, as you said, everything that you need, uh, you'll have to go via them. So in other words, you know, uh, they're trying to usher in uh, this uh, one world, uh, should we call it a disorder, but Is there opposition to this, Ashraf? Can you see anything happening? You know, we know it's a fact that the things of this world proceed by divine decree and not by man's administration because if you're going against the tide you are going to tire out and you'll sink and you'll drown. Your thoughts, Ashraf?
1: Undoubtedly, you cannot
0: challenge the divine decree. What
1: worries me is which side of the decree are we on?
0: Wow. Wow. Brilliant. That is a brilliant question. So are we deliberately allowing ourselves to be captured by this meretricious world without doing what we're supposed to do, is to think and think deeply, ponder like Ibrahim alayhi salam, Ashraf?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's deliberate, Shabbat. You know, in many ways, our people are innocent, you know, in gullible and ignorant. And I kept busy with small little issues. Um I, in many ways I find that they've been a bad day. Welfare has been abandoned and ring fenced around food and chicken and, you know, uh, all these other that's issues. That's and, you know, we seem to be obsessed with food. We seem to be obsessed with, uh, 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 you know, how women are treated and I mean, that's very important, no doubt. But what is the issue of the day? The issue of the day is how we have completely abandoned Deen islam And in many ways, Shafat, you know, we can look into our own communities, you know. You know, we say, what a beautiful recitation. What a wonderful talk! And uh, that's it. <laughs> I mean, the recitation of Quran, b- its beauty is there undoubtedly, but its understanding is is absent. And then uh, you know, we have various social media and various people come on and they give various views, and but nobody tackles the real, real issue, Shabbat. The real issue is the disaster we face as humankind, only Islam has the solution. But you cannot abandon, for example, a pillar like Zakat. Zakat is the only pillar of the Deen on which its existence depends on another human being. I mean, just just imagine that. Mm. Because Allah has al- already created the class of person that is the giver and the receiver. But understand this now, Shafat. I think maybe this is the point that most of us miss. You see, zakat is not a private charity. It's mm. not me oh, assessing myself and saying, oh, I had so much for the year. That's my future expenses. This is going to be my loss. This is the bad debts I'm going to recover. Okay, I'm going to have 10,000 and I'll take out 2.5% and I give it to an organization. That's the complete opposite of the science and the rules of Zakat. And those that have knowledge know, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you've got to take it. Take it. And once you take it, it belongs to the authority. And then it belongs to the authority to give it out. I mean, there are strict rules. It has to be given out in 24 hours. How is it we have organizations sitting on the bank balance with zakat in it? You, you see what I'm saying, Shafat? We've completely and utterly mm. moved away from the core teachings of Islam. And I, I find no one is talking about this. No one is even, you know, putting this as a discussion on the table. You know, then people innovate, oh, zakat must be given in goods, you know, hampers. How? How are you taking zakat and giving it out in hampers? There are other areas. You give your sadaqah. Give your Lilla. Give generously over and above that. But again, you know what I'm saying? Here's a complete collapse of the deen. And now we're looking at sideshows when this thing is staring us in the face. Can you imagine Shafat? The entire Muslim wealth of the world, if it was zakatable and taken properly, because the produce from under the ground and above the ground is, varies between 10 and 20%, it's not 2.5%. I think I gave an example previously, but let me give it to you again. Saudi Aramco's just one lease to uh, BP uh, brought in 180 billion dollars net worth of sales. You know, you know, the Saudis are cutting down a million dollars barrels a day. You know what's hmm. going to happen to the price of gold uh, to the price of oil because the Russians are doing the same. So you cut down your production and you double the price. I think it was one of those peaks in the oil price. One lease, one company, $180 million. Let's be generous and say the Zakatable income was 10%, not 20. $18 billion is what would have come into the coffers. Are you telling me that we couldn't solve some part of humanity's problem with 18 billion dollars. You, you see what I'm saying, Shafar? Mm. Our monies or the money of the ummah is translated into dollars and then rebanked into the banking system. And then they'll come around and say to you, uh, you know, uh, we got this Islamic bank and it's getting its funding from this. <laughs> really, even, I mean, it's such a powerful thing, the Zakat, that even the United Nations has now created a Zakat fund. Can you believe it? Just, just think about it. On the flip side, I just gave you one transaction with 18 billion. The highest number of refugees in the world comprises of Muslims. Something like 765 million refugees in the world, of which 80% Now, you see the television pictures, they say, oh, look, this is a disaster in this country. Give us your money. You know, we're going to put tents there and we're doing this and we're doing that. And then the people that receive it very cleverly say, oh, we're entitled to take a portion of the zakat because it's there in the eight categories. It's a business. Because it's, It's turned into a further fracturing of the rule of zakat. The rule of zakat is the authority takes it. And I'm not having a private opinion about this. This is the Quranic ayat, And I'll be very happy to hear from the listeners in the future if what I'm saying is not true then correct me. But that's my understanding of it. And so how do we respond to this really shameful activity where there is so much of wealth in the world and then we are reduced to beggar status. And I mean, it's really a tragedy when you see children eating dust, that has to have an effect on you. Where people don't have adequate water. Let's make no mistake. The world is full of resources. There's enough food and water for everyone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not taken one single drop of water out from the earth from the day He created it. That water can't go anywhere. It is here. That is when you look at how the oceans and how water is created and it's same amount. Nor has He added one grain one atom more of the earth from the day it was created. That should tell you how immense this thing is.
0: Ashraf, that's brilliant indeed because, uh, you know, Wallahu alimun hakimun Wallahu khayru raziheen And I, Allah, I am the best of providers. And as you said, uh, you know, people sin against the intelligence uh, by accepting, uh, the, you know, these false propaganda so, oh, there's going to be food shortage and that shortage and this and that. Uh, Allah, uh, you know, Allah tells us that he's the best of providers. And, you know, look at the whales in the ocean. Uh, you know, they eat tons and tons of krill. There's thousands of them, hundreds and thousands of different types of species uh, around in the dunya. Allah is feeding them all. And, uh, you know, people should be taking note of that. And uh, the point that you make so eloquently of uh, the ummah, we call ourselves the ummah, the Muslims, I mean, the richest of the richest, I mean, you look at the Amaratis, you look at the uh, the, the Saudia and all this, uh, there they are spending billions and maybe trillions of uh, dollars in the sports and the uh, different types of things that they're doing and uh, luring in all these uh, soccer rights and paying them unrealistic uh, salaries and buying them this and that. That too alone is uh, something that we should think deeply on. And as you said, if the institution of Zakat was implemented properly, There will be not one poor Muslim on this earth. No. There may be no uh, individual on this earth that will be starving. But uh, there is something that is definitely, uh, you know, gone astray. And we are not on the straight and narrow. We have allowed ourselves uh, to have, uh, you know, gone out of the boundaries of Islam. But moving on uh, with our topic, I see we have about uh, uh, 10 minutes left, Ashraf, talking about, you know, uh, children born in South Africa to foreign parents not automatically entitled to South African citizenship. So says the court, uh, Ashraf.
1: Correct. Uh, so this is a judgment emanating from the Limpopo High Court. Interesting judgment, I must say. I think it's absolutely correct in terms of the interpretation of the law. So here's the scenario, right? There were two Zimbabwean parents that approached the Minister of Home Affairs for citizenship uh, for their children through birth. They said, "Look, we are entitled to citizen birth certificates, not handwritten, unabridged birth certificates." Now, an unabridged under- birth certificate is the only birth certificate you get these days, but it basically contains your full bio, which means who's your father, who's your mother, etc., etc. These Zimbabweans. I took the matter to court and said, listen, the minister has unlawfully refused us and we want this decision refu- uh, reviewed. So, you know, there's a, there's a piece of legislation called PAJA, Promotion of Administrative Justice Act, where decisions that are, you know, unlawful, unreasonable or procedurally unfair is tested against PAJA. And, um, this is the nub of it, right? They said, in terms of the Citizenship Act, Section 2-2, A and B, our children are entitled to citizenship because they were born in the country. They are eligible. Now, when the judge examined that, he said, no, no, look, let's look at the law and let's look at whether, Your interpretation is correct. So section 2 to sub 2 A and B. So just to make it easy. States. If you're born in the Republic. And you're not a citizen by virtue of provisions of section 1. So section 1 is very easy to understand. You get citizenship through one of three ways. Birth. Descent or naturalization. Right. So birth. Birth. Provides that if your parent is a citizen or both are citizens, well, you get citizenship by birth. The same with descent. And naturalization is a process which you pursue through the Immigrations Act, where you go from temporary residence to permanent residence. And ultimately, you have the right after five years or you become eligible to apply for citizenship. Here, the judge says, look here. I'm reading the act and he says he only can get citizenship by virtue of two two, if A. he does not have citizenship or nationality of any other country or has no right to such citizenship and nationality. Very importantly, at the end of the sentence, is the word and, which means it it joins the next sentence as a requirement. And then it says, his or her birth is registered in the Republic in accordance with the Births and Deaths Registries Act. Now, the court was very clear. It says, look, these children cannot be eligible because there is no provision made for people whose parents are citizens of another country which means a child is eligible for citizenship or nationality through the parent of the original country. So it was very clear that you cannot just say because you're born here, you automatically get citizenship by virtue of Section 2.2 because it's a two-part test. Yes, you're born here. Okay, we know that. But Part A said you can only get it if you don't have citizenship or you're not entitled to that, from another country. Now, there are certain countries where this was applied and the children were indeed citizens. So, for example, there was a party from Cuba who were out of Cuba for a certain amount of time and that led to their loss of citizenship. So, they could never actually regain that. So, obviously, the parents were stateless. Now, the Constitution and the United Nations says that you must guard against statelessness. And where there is statelessness statelessness, then you are obliged to extend citizenship to that party. As you can see, that would have fitted the provisions of section two two. This wasn't the case in the instant matter. Uh, there was another case of the Joshua brothers from Angola, whose um parents were basically refugees. And they had no hope of going back. And basically, they didn't get citizenship, but they got permanent residence. Um, and they can take up citizenship after they become, uh, majors at age 18. So I think the decision was sound. And I don't know if it's going to be appealed against, but the, the crux of the matter is you derive your rights from your parents. You know, you can't just suck, you know, suck it out of the air. Uh, and then when he examined the parents, he said, look, are the parents permanent residents? And he says, no, they were alleged on a work permit. But he, he couldn't find it. You know, where, where is this work permit? And what was the status of the mother? Remember, if one of them were citizens, that would have been different, as we've said. Hmm. Um And that that scenario was covered in the constitutional court of uh, Shisius." Where the Constitutional Court said that if you are a citizen, whether you're born in the country, outside the country, your parents were citizens, well then, you are, you are indeed a citizen of the Republic. I hope I've made that clear. It's an easy enough thing to understand and uh, to try and follow the uh, reasoning of the court, Shiva, No, I, I, you
0: know, crystal clear there, Ashraf. And as you said, you know, if one parent happens to be a South African, then the child uh, can be uh, a South African uh, uh, citizen. But if uh, both parents are from uh, outside and if they have come into this country uh, without work permit and so forth, uh, then uh, that's also a big issue. Uh, Ashraf, uh, perhaps your parting words this evening, because you absolutely, uh, you know, gave us a lot of food for thought, and uh, Allah bless you for that.
1: Well. You know, Allah also bless all of you that made this possible. It's a means of um, saying what we know. Uh, whoever is, you know, you driving the show, you putting your time there, uh, the owners of the station, the listeners are very important. That you know that they be included in the duas and the blessing, and everyone else that we could reach with this. Remember to hang on to the. Uh, Yasin because it is immense and it really gets you through your day, Shabbat. I don't know if you figured this out yet. Becher. The day you start without Absolutely. the Yasin it Absolutely. goes chaotic. So it has its protection and it has its blessing. You know what? Allah is ghafuru rahim. He is most merciful. We mustn't lose hope. We must say, oh my God, you know, in such a bad place. Allah helps those who help themselves we must want to help ourselves we must want to to find ourselves back as the vicegerents, those upholding allah's divine decree and those that want the best for human beings and those that fulfill the contract to allah because we said when allah said allah to be rabbikum we said of course indeed you are our lord and we were made to create you. And uh, hang on to that, you know. Hang on to the view that all these other side shows don't matter. You were made to worship. Man and jinn was only created for that. So if you kind of get that right in your head, a lot of whatever happens is, is irrelevant.
0: Absolutely, Ashraf. And Allah bless you. And Allah keep you. Blessings to your family too. Inshallah, we'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wabarakatuh Time for us to go for the Isha Azan, And inshallah we will continue after that